Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Good morning, Calvary Chapel. How's everybody doing this morning? That was awesome worship. Love to uh, just break in uh, this morning with uh, thinking about who God is, all that He's done for us. Man, He is so good to us. And uh, I'm grateful that I get to, as John mentioned, you know, be able to come every week um, and, and fellowship, hopefully more than just once a week, but, you know, during the week and be able to fellowship with you guys. Uh, we're in this thing together. We're a team. And uh, so praise the Lord. We thank you um, to Jesus Christ for being the, the bond that brings us all together, being the glue that causes us all to stick together. And so we're, we're grateful this morning for him. How many of Lord of the Ring fans do I have in the house this morning? Anybody Lord of the Ring fan? Okay. All right. So I got a question for you. Um, how many of you guys like Gimli? Gimli's that little guy that you just saw at the end there. How many, any Gimli fans? In it? Nobody? Nobody's like Gimli. Gimli's awesome. Dude, the guy has the best one-liners. You, you, I mean, now you have to go back and watch the entire thing to listen to his one-liners. Like he said right there, certainty of death, smallest chance of success. What are we waiting for? That's, that's Gimli. Now, this, this little dwarf, he's an ornery little fella, but he had the right perspective. You see, he had so much faith in those around him, the band of brothers that he had, that he said, hey, I don't care what it looks like, if there's anybody that can get out of a dire straits situation, it's these guys, and I'm partnered with them, and so let's go do this. And I think that we can learn a lot from that little guy about Christianity, about what it means to be a Christian, and, and the, the fact that we are partnered with not a band of brothers. Yes, we do have that uh, but we are partnered with the God of the universe who has anchored himself to us. And, and therefore, you know, if anyone comes against us, we have him fighting our battles for us. And when God is on your side, you cannot lose. And so as we consider that this morning, I don't care where, what you come in with, whatever uh, situation you're facing, you know what? God is bigger and he's able to cause us to soar above the, the fight because he is fighting the battle for us. Yet oftentimes we don't experience that, that kind of uh, attitude towards the Lord because we are too horizontal. And the Lord wants to remind you this morning that He is the one that is fighting the battle, not you. You can rest in Him this morning. If you're facing something dire, God would tell you this morning, trust me and rest in me. Just come to me, with, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We serve a God who's fighting the battle for us, and I'm grateful for because there are many battles that we will face. Be for sure, you will find yourself either going into a battle in the middle of a battle or coming out of a battle. That is the Christian walk. And so we need to remind ourselves this morning, we need to have the tenacity of Gimli that would say, I don't care what it looks like on the horizontal. My God is bigger, and I will serve Him, and I will trust Him in whatever I go through because God never loses, even in death, even in death. Death seems to, fe seems to be one of the, the foes in our life, the biggest foe that we face that we might think like, oh man, who can overcome death? Jesus Christ can overcome death. He has overcome the grave. He's over the grave, overcome the grave for you. Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand. He is with us and he is for us. Paul said it like this in Philippians 1.21. This is my life verse. For to me, to live is Christ, but what? To die is gain. To die is gain. Why is that? Because we've been given victory over death. Listen, our only requirement in this whole thing is to be all in. To be all in. That is the title of my message this morning, and that is what I want to talk to you about. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. If you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're so thankful that you've come to worship with us if you're joining us on the live stream hey actually i want to give a shout out to my aunt billy who is in billings montana would you just give her a round of applause aunt billy we love you we're glad you're watching and whoever else is on today uh we want to welcome you and if perhaps you're listening to a podcast or something later we want to we're glad you're joining us as well if you were with us last week you'll remember that joshua was called by the, 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 the army of Gi Gi uh, the Gibeonites to come and fight with him. He was, uh, the Gibeonites were being uh, surrounded by five different kingdoms. Like the, the massive army was coming against them. And they cried out 
to Joshua. And as Joshua was considering the matter, he got the nod from heaven. God said, you go, boy, because I have given all of these armies over to you. All of these five kings will bow at your feet. You will have them under your foot. You will gab victory. There will be none standing when you're done. And so Joshua and the Israelites marched some 25 miles up, 4,000 feet in elevation all night long to go fight a, 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 you know, a five-kingdom army that's been rested and ready for battle. It seems unfair, and yet it's not fair. It is unfair for those who have been rested and ready for battle because they have no idea what they're about to encounter. The God of Israel is going to fight the battle for them. And we see it right away God causes confusion. He, he throws them into just an utter chaos. And that gives Israel the opportunity to strike. Then right after that, as, as these kingdoms begin to flee the situation, as they descend from uh, Gibeon down uh, by way of Beth Haran, uh, the Lord hurls stones down upon them. And they are just being picked off left and right. And then... The, one of the most, uh, one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. Joshua commands the sun to stand still. Hey, does anybody think that really happened here? I mean, that really happened. That is not a mythical thing. That is not something that we read in the Bible and go, oh, God, uh, you know, causes donkeys to speak and the sun to stand still. Yeah, because he's God, he can do those kind of things. And and you would have, uh, you know, many people come uh, and and point out those kind of what they would call ridiculous things. We call them miracles because our God is a miracle maker. He is in control of everything. And so we believe in kind of things. So when you believe in the Bible and what it says, then it doesn't matter what you encounter, right? If God says, you know, I'm going to cause the sun to stand still, we can trust it and believe it because he can do it because he is able. And so Joshua, the only time, you know, it's, it's, it's said in there that it was not, that had never happened before and there hasn't been a day since that someone could do what Joshua did. He commanded the sun to stand still. And the Lord used that for his own purpose. He was causing the, the children of Israel to go into this land and to clear them out. And so at this point, Israel defeats them. They have, they have pretty much wiped out much of the southern kingdom of Canaan. And, but they're not done. They still have more to do they have to clear out the entire land leaving none of the inhabitants alive now why would a loving god do that why would a loving god tell the children of israel to wipe out all of the inhabitants of canaan because god yes he is a loving god and he loves us fiercely he loves us with a with a love that is beyond our comprehension and yet the uh, there are other attributes of god that require him to act justly in the world when somebody uh you know when somebody does something wrong there is uh there is a reconciliation that has to happen you either pay for it yourself or you you look to the one who's paid for all jesus christ but regardless payment will be made you can rest assured that god himself will make sure that payment is fulfilled and so this God of love is also a God of justice and righteousness and holiness. And so he would tell the children of Israel, you go and wipe out these people from the face of the earth. Why? Because they are being judged. Now, lest you judge God and think that he is acting unjustly, consider the fact that God gave the, the, these Canaanites, the people that inhabited the land of Canaan, nearly over a little over 400 years of time to repent, to come to know him and they would reject him and so god after a period of time you know he will execute judgment it's called the popeye point where the lord himself says i i, I i've had all that i can stands and i can't stands no more and then he he judges the world and that is the truth the flood was a popeye point for god he had, had all that he could stands and he can't stands no more this particular time period when the children of israel are going into the land of Canaan, the promised land. God had had all that he can stands and he can't stands no more. For nearly 400 and uh, 30 years approximately from the time the word went forth from, from Abraham to the point in which this happened. It's Genesis chapter 15 verses 15 through 16 if you are taking notes and here's what it says. The Lord's speaking to Abraham. You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. 
and they shall come back here in the generation. Listen, listen to this carefully. For the iniquity of Amorites is not yet complete. That is the key phrase there. God is saying he is waiting. He is being patient. He is reaching out to the Amorites. He is drawing them. They are rejecting him. They will not listen. So after a period of time that God has determined, it's up to him to determine that time period. After this particular point, when he decides that the Amorites have completed their iniquity, when he says, that's it, enough is enough, he sends the fourth generation. So there is a time frame involved in it. Their fourth generation of the Israelites would go into the land of Canaan and they would execute judgment upon those that God is drawing that would understand the God of patience, yes. And God is one that will... Um, huh? Oh, is it? I changed the batteries. If not, I'll just switch to the other mic. Is that better? Okay. So, the idea is that God is a God of patience. Yes, but there comes a time when he will execute judgment. And that time point had come. Listen, these people had sinned greatly. They were sacrificing their offspring to a statue named Moloch. Where they would, it, was a, it was a statue with hands that were out like this and they would build a fire underneath his hands and they would take their offspring and toss them up on this, this burning bowl of hands and they would sit there and sizzle and die. These people were completely and totally debaucherous. They were worshiping idols. They were involved in all kinds of sexual immorality. They were contrary to everything that God would say you're supposed to be. They were living contrary to. And so the Lord says, I'm going to judge you. And I would say that we live in a time period which is very much like the time period in which the Amorites lived. And I would say that, you know, that when you look back in the Old Testament and you consider the, the offspring being sacrificed, I look at that, there is no statue called Molech today, but there is offspring being sacrificed. There is the, to the tune of somewhat of a million babies being sacrificed on a yearly basis in the United States alone through abortion. Nearly, you know, since, since Roe and Wade, but by the way, she, uh, Norma McLaren or whatever, what was her name, McSomething? She died a couple days ago. Do you know that uh, she changed her position? And there's a video out on YouTube of her saying, I never considered what the ramifications of my actions, of what I stood for back then. I was a silly girl, a 21-year-old girl that didn't know what she was doing. But now what I see, what I've done, I am embarrassed by it. God forgive me. And she I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but she stood now against abortion. She herself said, I never had an abortion. I, was, I had a pregnancy. I didn't want the child, but I never had an abortion. And yet here we have an agenda being pushed using this front person, this pawn in the scheme, trying to push down this legislation, which happened. And now here we stand. Nearly 60 million babies in our country have been sacrificed since 1973. Since 1980, there's been nearly 1.5 billion abortions in the world. 1.5 billion. Tell me that, we, that God's patients are wearing thin. God's patients are wearing thin. Listen, did you know that the, the sacrifice that's happening in our country at the very least is to the God of self. To the God of self. Why do I say that? Because did you know that 98... I mean, the abortion thing is so, so controversial. You know, what about molestations? What about rape? What about those... Oh, you mean like the one point some odd percent of abortions that happen as a result of that? Because 98.3% of abortions are a result of so election as a result of saying, I just don't want a baby or I don't think I can afford one, Right? And so that, that's really, we want to make a big case about the 1.3% or 1.7% or whatever it is. There is no justification 
for that. And there are some here in this room today that have said, hey, I've been there. You know, I've done that. And the Lord, would, the Lord forgives and He loves and He nurtures and He, and he, and he heals and He sends His Spirit out to, to, to um, you know, nurture those that have gone through that. But understand, there is a, there's paganism in our world that it was very much like the paganism that was happening back in this day and age. And the Lord is about to say, I, I've had all that I can stand and I can't stand no more. We know that time is short. We know that he is about to execute judgment on, on the face of this earth, much like he did here. But that isn't God's heart. God wants to save. He said, I didn't send my son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God wants to save. He's an equal opportunity savior. The Amorites had the opportunity to come to Christ. You have an opportunity to come to Christ. There's not a single person that ever lived on the face of the planet didn't have an opportunity to take their sin, whatever, how great it might have been, to the cross and allow the blood of Jesus Christ to pay for that sin. God shows no partiality. But He is faithful in every aspect of who He is, including that of judge including that of God, judge. God chose to use the children of Israel as an instrument of his judgment upon the promised land. And so that's what we see as we finish up chapter 10 and chapter 11 this morning. However, understand that Joshua, in order for him to be the man that God is calling him to be, in order for him to bring the people into the land, in order for him to be the instrument of judgment upon those in the land of Canaan, to accomplish all that God has created him for, he is going to have to be all in. There is no half-hearted servantship here you can't step into what he's stepping into half-hearted you will never ever be able to execute the things that God is calling you to do if you're half-hearted and that's what God would say to you this morning you will never be able to do the things that God is calling you to do do the things that he created you to do if you're not all in and so he would call you this morning to say, hey, God, I'm all in today. Maybe you haven't been, and he would say, I'm going to stick my flag in the sand today, and I'm going to say, God, I'm all in today. Whatever you want to do with my life. And that is my prayer for uh, this time together, is that by the end, as we consider three things that we pull out of the text this morning, that you would come to that place where you'd say, God, what other there is no choice. I mean, I'm all in because of who you are and what you've done for me because he's an all-in God. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just come to the moon, but he came all the way down to earth? Like he didn't come halfway, but he came all the way for you and I? Should we not do the same? Should we go all the way for him? Listen, the first thing that I want to share with you this morning out of this text is, number one, being all in means you leave nothing undone. Stand with me, if you would, and we're going to read Joshua chapter 10, beginning in verse 28. And we're going to pick it up where we left off last week. Joshua chapter 10, verse 28. And it says this, As for Makeda, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it and its kings and its king with the edge of the sword. He devoted to destruction every person on it, and he left none remaining. And he did to the king of Makeda just as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Makeda to Libna and fought against Libna. And the Lord gave it also and its king into the hand of Israel. And he struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it. He left none remaining in it. And he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed from Libna to Lachish and laid siege to it and fought against it. And the Lord gave Lachish into the hand of Israel and he captured it and on the second day, and struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it, and as he had done with Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up uh, to help. That'd be an awesome name to have. Hey, Gezer. But, uh, um, but anyway, came up to help Lachish. I just thought of that. And Joshua struck him and his people until he left none remaining. Then Joshua, with all Israel with him, passed on from Lachish to Eglon. And they laid siege to it and fought against it, and they captured it on that day. And struck it with the edge of the sword. And he devoted every person in it to destruction that day as he had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron. And they fought against it and captured it and struck it with the, the edge of the sword. 
and its king and its towns and every person in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Eglon and devoted it to destruction and every person in it. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him turned back to Debur and fought against it and he captured it with its king and its, all its towns and they had struck them with the edge of the sword and devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining just as he had done in Hebron and to Libnah and to its king. So he did to Debur and to its king. So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and the Negev and the lowland and the, the slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining but devoted to destruction all that breathed just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Geza to all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings <clears throat> in their land at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we are so grateful that you were an all-in God that you saw us stuck in our situation. You saw us stuck in our sin. You saw us stuck in our darkness. And while we were yet so sinners, you sent your son to die. Lord, we thank you that you've accomplished all for us. This morning, God, we want to give you our lives. We want to surrender ourselves to you. We want to be all in to the plan that you have for us. We ask that you would help us this morning, God. To, to wave the, the white flag in whatever areas of our life that are not surrendered to you, that are hindering your ability to do all that you want to do through us. Maybe it's our security in our bank account. Maybe it's, our, uh, maybe it's prestige. Maybe it's a social situation. Maybe it's a family thing. Maybe it's pressure from parents. Whatever it is, Lord, this morning we want to surrender to you. We would ask you, Lord, to help us to overcome. We know that you've given us victory. And so, Lord, let us stand victorious this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There is a repeated phrase at the end of chapter 10 there, and we'll see it repeated through chapter 11, and it is this. He left none remaining. He left none remaining. Joshua did all that was set before him to do. He didn't stop because he got tired. He didn't stop because he had thought that he had enough land and that they could occupy that land in the southern half of Israel. And so, you know, he thought, okay, well, it's, we're, we're good enough. We don't need all the rest. No, he kept going. He left nothing undone because he was called to do all that he had done. And because he was all in, he did execute all that God laid out for him to do. You have to be all in in order to do that. Living for Christ isn't always rainbows and unicorns, is it? A lot of times, it's a lot of hard work. Listen, there is endurance. There is difficulty. God calls you on a narrow path that is sometimes steep and very arduous, and it's difficult. He said narrow is the path, and difficult is the way for those who find life. The reason for that is because you have all kinds of things coming against you when you stand for Christ. When you take a stand for Christ, you have the enemy, you have the world, and you have the flesh all coming against you. The unholy trinity coming down upon you and you will never stand on your own. You have to be all in in order to be successful as a Christian because it's tough. It's difficult. We have been given the Holy Spirit as the power in order to live the life that we've been called to live. And yet, we will never experience the full power of the Holy Spirit in our life until we're all in, until we've said, Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Whatever you want to do in my life, empower me with whatever gifting you desire for me to have. But I'm afraid to, to walk in those giftings. Well, that's the problem then, isn't it? That becomes the issue. I'm not all in. If you're all in, you're saying, God, use me however you want. You're the Isaiah saying, God, here am I, send me. Whatever you want to do. I don't care how big the battle might be, God. Send me there. If you're fighting for me, I'll go. I'm not talking about mustering up your own faith. I'm talking about 
getting behind a God who is bigger than anything and allowing Him to go forward and just following Him as He directs you. Your faith is not in yourself. Your faith is in Jesus Christ and what He's done on the cross, yes, but it's in God who has gone before you and who has given the victory for you. He fights the battle for you. And the only way that we will experience all that He has for us, that we will, you know, this, this idea that God has a plan for our life and we'll be able to fulfill that plan is until we are all in. And there are times that we waffle. There are times that we are all in, and then there's times that we are not. And so God would call us today back to the, back to the plumb line, and he'd say, let's get back to where we're all in. Because I can't really do anything until we're back to that place. And so you're asking God to work in your life. You're asking him to give you power. You're asking him to do these things in your life right now, and he's saying, hey, we've got to get back to the plumb line first. You've got to get back to... To, to, the, to the point in which you are trusting in me and you're not leaning on yourself, but you're fully uh, you know, engaged and you're saying, God, whatever you want to do. You're saying, you, you know, you have the Gimli attitude. Whatever you want to do, God, I'm all in because I'm on your team. You can't lose. You mean God saved me to do stuff? I'm not just supposed to sit here and, and wait for Jesus to come back like he created me in Christ Jesus for good works? Yeah, exactly. Like we're not sitting at the bus stop waiting for Jesus to come pick us up. Like he's got stuff for us to do in this world. Uh, namely, all of us are called to go share the gospel. That's just a blanket call for all of us. It looks differently in our lives. We all do it differently, but we're all called to do it. We're all called to share the gospel with people. But God has a specific uh, pathway for you. He's got something specific for you to do. He's got many things specific for you to do. Uh, it's Ephesians 2.10, if you're taking notes, one of my favorite verses, and I quote it often because I, I, I want to be reminded that God created me to do something. He didn't just create me because he's like, oh, I want to see what this guy would turn up to be like. No, I've created him, and I have designed him. I've infused him with information so that he can uh, fulfill his pl my plan in his life. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I are God's workmanship. I love the word. In the Greek, it's pomia. It literally means we are his poem. By the looks of some of us, God is incredibly eccentric in his art because he has made some of us very strange people. But that's okay because we're his workmanship. And when we're his workmanship, we can obey, be okay with who we are, right? Because we were created in Him. Like we're not trying to be individuals. We're trying to be what God called us to be. We're not, just, we're not jumping on the individual bandwagon to just be individual. I want to be individual, the individual that God made me to be. And He designed me specifically to do certain things. I mean, when God put Adam in the garden, He didn't just say, Adam, kick back and enjoy till I come back. No, He said, Adam, you subdue the land. You go in and you work it. You manage it. You watch over it. I'm going to give you stuff to do. You name all the animals. You get to name the plants. You get to name the flowers. You get to do all of this stuff. It was work for him, but it was awesome. And I will tell you that the work that God has designed you to do is awesome work. Like it's Dan said this morning to the worship team, he goes, look, this is not just a service to God. This is a joy that we get to do this. And when you are walking in the good works that he's created from the foundation of the world before the foundation of the world, man, it's a joy to do. But it doesn't mean it's not difficult. How many of you like to garden and pull weeds? There's something wrong with you guys. I'm not sure what, what it is, but that's hard work. That sucks in my opinion. I mean, but some people really enjoy that and, and they're just, they just love it. God designed you for that. And yet when I, you know, we, sometimes we try and put the the square peg in the round hole, and you know, you're like, well, this is the way this person is gifted, and that's the good works they're walking in, so I should do that. No, God designed you differently. He created you for specific good works that he, cre he designed you for. Don't try and be somebody else. Be who God has called you to be. Well, how do I know that? Well, guess what? We're having a servant fair later today, and you're, we want to invite you to come, and, and you know, the Lord will share with you. I'm telling you, until you take a step, until you take a little step and you say, Lord, I'm going to serve you in some way. I'm going to, I want to jump on the bandwagon and do something. I'm just going to, I, I want to start to know what your will for my life is. 
you know, until you take that small step, he's not going to re reveal, you know, I'm calling you to be a pastor. You know what the Lord called me to do first? Clean toilets. When I came into the church, I started scrubbing toilets. I started doing all that stuff. Then eventually I graduated to the soundboard, you know, and then eventually I graduated to the worship team. Then eventually I graduated to being able to teach every, every now and then. But it was little steps along the way. And God would tell you that today that if you're just like, hey, I don't know really what God's called me to do, you need to come to the servants' fair tonight from 4 to 5 and, and just let the Spirit lead you and just plug in somewhere. Listen, we all are called to serve the body. We are designed to serve. We are, we are created for good works, and those good works are, uh, some of them are amongst your brothers and sisters and just doing things for them and loving on them in certain ways, serving them. And so I would encourage you to come and do that. Be faithful. Leave nothing undone, Christian. Leave nothing undone. Joshua didn't stop halfway through the promised land and just go, oh, I'm good. I'm good now. I think that we've done enough here. Uh, we're just going to occupy the southern half of the land. And you know what? We don't really need to go north. We're good. Um, thanks, Lord, but we're going to stop here. No, he, he did everything that he was called to do, just like Jesus. Are you guys not glad that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane didn't say, say hey, Lord, I'm good. Let's just go take me to the right hand now. I'm good. I've done enough here. These guys are just complete idiots. I don't want to serve with them anymore. They're going to take off on me and leave me by myself here. So uh, they're, they're not all in. I'm all in. But let's just, let's just, we're good. No, he didn't do that. He said, I'll go to whatever extent I have to go to. And in fact, in his own words, John chapter 17, verse 4, he said this. I glorified you, speaking of the Father on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I did everything you called me to do. Everything. I left nothing undone. I did it all. I've completed my task. Now, I'm ready. Jesus didn't leave anything undone. Joshua is a type of Jesus who is going, he's not going to leave anything left undone. He's going to accomplish all that God has called him to accomplish. Not in his own power, but in God's power. Notice, it says there, it was God who fought for Israel. <laughs> All Joshua and the Israelites had to do was show up. All you got to do is show up. When he's calling you to do something, all you got to do is show up and trust him. It's that simple. But we become fearful. Oh, it seems too big. Oh, I'm not gifted in that way. Oh, I can't do that. Hey, I've been there. And I can tell you, until you're willing to just say, God, I'm going to trust you at where I believe you're leading me, you're going to stay stuck in that place and you will never accomplish all that he has for you until you're willing to take the step and say, God, I trust you right now, right here. Being all in means leaving nothing left undone. Secondly, it means never retreating from a battle that God has called you to. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah, south of Chinneroth, and in the lowland, and in the Naphoth door on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, and to the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. They came out with all their troops, a great horde, and number like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Mir, uh, Mir, Miram to fight against Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of uh, Miram and fell upon them. And, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel who struck them and chased them as far as uh, great Sidon and Mizrephoth, Maim, and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. Man, these are so hard to read. My mouth doesn't make these sounds. And they struck them until he left none remaining. Verse 9, And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him, 
He hamstringed their horses and burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor formerly was head of all those kingdoms. And they struck with the sword all who were in it, and devoting them to destruction. There was none left that breathed. And he burned Hazor with fire. And all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua captured and struck them with the edge of the sword, devoting them to destruction, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But none of the cities that stood on the mountains did Israel burn except Hazor alone that Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the people of Israel took for their plunder. But every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them and they did not leave any who breathed. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses as his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua and Joshua And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, I can't imagine what Joshua and the children of Israel must have been thinking after the battles that they had already fought. You might be thinking, now we have to face this massive army made up of the entire northern kingdom is now coming against us. Everybody. They're bringing out everybody against us. Like this army was so big that it was innumerable. You couldn't number it. Like it was as much as the sand particles on the sea. You ever tried to count those? Don't do it. It's a waste of time. The number was staggering. Not only that, but notice they also, they had these, these weapons that were very intimidating. They had horses and chariots. They, they had never faced an army like this since they, after, after fleeing from Egypt. Like they're thinking like, oh my gosh, what do we do now? This, this army is massive. They have, they have, you know, they have weaponry that we don't have. How can we fight this battle? And any human being in their right mind would say, hey, this battle is too big for us. Let's not do it. Let's just go back and reside in the southern kingdoms. But only a person that's all in would say, What are we waiting for, right? What are we waiting for? Joshua was ready to face the battle. He was ready to step into the battle. But this wasn't a battle that he'd ever seen before. What I don't want you to miss is this, that you're going to face battles uh, that you've never faced before. Like God is going to step you. you, It's not going to be a cookie-cutter battle that's just one after another. It's the same thing always. Listen, the enemy is really good at intimidation. And so he knows your fears, he knows your weaknesses, and so he's going he's gonna to come against you in ways that are going to create fear in your heart because he knows you. And yet, if the Lord has called you into the battle, you step to the line and you say, Lord, I'm here. Let's do this. Whatever you want to do. You don't run away. God, if you, it, what we just read there was, it was God that commanded them to do it. It was God that commanded them. God commanded them. Three times we read that God commanded them to do this. When God commands you to step into a battle, you step into it no matter what you see. You don't say, I'm afraid of what will happen here. I'm afraid I'm going to hurt their feelings and they're not going to like me. God's called you to that battle. You step into the battle. When God has called you to go confront somebody on something, you don't flee from it. If he's commanded you to go, you go and you step into the battle and you say, Lord, I'm going to fight for that person because you're fighting for them. You love them. You, you need them to hear what you desire for them to hear because time is short and you're his warrior and he's sending you. Listen, you're going to step into, into, into battles that you've never faced before that are going to look very intimidating but you have to step into them. You can't run away from them. I can tell you that, that in, in the, the years that I've walked with the Lord, no battle looks the same. Every battle's a little different. You know, I, one time my wife and I were, were, um, we were uh, ministering to this married couple who was having, just had a terrible relationship, disastrous relationship. They were violent towards each other, and it was just not a good situation, and they were young. You know, and, and so very arrogant guy and, and all this stuff. And one time we, we so we're trying to minister to them. And, and um, multiple people in our, in our, they'd gone through multiple people in our congregation, you know, and, and somehow it landed in our court. We were young 
believers. And we were stepping into the battle saying, we're not going to let your marriage go without a fight. We're going to fight for you. We're going to fight for your marriage. And, and so at this point in time, they were separated. And the wife was at our house over some holiday. I don't know which one it was. But we had some family mem- members over my house with some friends and stuff. And some of them were single guys. Well, guess what? Her husband calls. He says, what are you guys doing? Oh, I just got some family and friends over, whatever. What's going on, man? Yeah, my wife over there? Uh, yeah. Oh, is there guys over there? Uh, I'm a guy. Uh, yeah, there's guys over here. Well, and then he proceeds to tell me how he's going to come smash my head into the concrete and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, and, and so I'm like, okay. Well, that's not cool. And so I'm like, well, dude, you know what? We're here for you guys. We're trying to work in the situation, you know. You're trying to intimidate me. Who tries to intimidate? The devil. The devil tries to intimidate us. So this kid's trying to intimidate me. And I just say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to flee from the battle. God's called us to this situation. And we're going to stand our ground. So I said, no. You know what? She's hanging out. We're fine. Nothing's going on. You need to chill out and go pray. You need to go read your Bible or something, man. And he's like, I'll be over there in a second. Slams the door. And I'll tell you, I'm not, it's not, to be honest, I was afraid. I had no idea what this guy was going to do. I didn't know if he was going to show up with a gun, what he was going to show. What, what I knew was God called me to the situation. And I wasn't going to, you know, try and fuel the fire, but I was also not going to flee the situation. Hey, you got to leave because your husband's an idiot and he wants to control you. And so, you know, let's get you out of here because that's exactly what he wanted to do. And guess what? I'm not going to let that happen because I believe that God is at work here and the enemy is working through him right now. So guess what? He shows up in my house. And so, dude, I'm like thinking, and we're going, we're, we're in the, my backyard just walking around in circles. I thought the guy was waiting for him to swing at me, and, uh, you know, and uh, we, were, we were going around in circles, but I stood my ground. I was not going to let this guy intimidate me, and guess what happened? He fleed. Wait a second, isn't there a Bible verse that says, if you resist the devil, he'll flee? Yeah, because when you stand your ground and God is with you and he's called you into the battle and you're standing your ground, it's not you standing there, it's him. The enemy is not looking at you, he's looking at God, saying, I can't win that battle, I'm fleeing from it. That's why we stand firm in our faith. When God calls you to a battle, you toe the line and you just do what he tells you to do. It doesn't matter how intimidating the situation looks. You step into it and you say, hey Lord, this may cost me this relationship, but I'm more concerned about what you think than anything. And so I'm going to do what you called me to do because you've created me for good works. You've created me. I'm, I'm all in with you, Lord. I'm ready to fight this battle. The enemy is going to use all kinds of tactics to intimidate you, to stop you from doing what God's calling you to do. But when you're all in, you see right through it. And you step to the line and you say, no, I've been called to this battle. God tells Joshua here, do not be afraid of them. It's a battle I've never seen before. I don't know how to handle this. Do not be afraid of them. For tomorrow I will give them over, I I will give over all of them slain to Israel. Wait a second, they're already slain? It's past tense. God's already fought the battle. He's already won the battle. You you just got to show up. I will, del- I will give them over to, uh, to them, slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. And Joshua, all he had to do was follow the command of God. It's God who's fighting the battle, not you. We are simply to step into the victory that he's given us. So don't retreat from the battle you know that God is calling you to be in. But know that it's God calling you to be in the battle. Does that make sense? just fight battles to fight battles fight the right battles the ones that God's calling you to fight because if you step out on your own and you start to wield your sword you will be struck down if it's not God he will allow you to he will allow you to go out on your own power and do certain things but you'll fail we already saw that in Gibeon didn't we we already saw that in Achan we don't want to see that here in this situation Being all in means never retreating from a battle that God has called you to. And lastly, being all in is the only way to keep your heart soft. Look at verse 16. So Joshua 
took all that land, the hill country and the Negeb, and all the land of Goshen and the low land and the Arabah and the hill country of Israel and its lower land, its low land, from Mount Helak, which rises from Sire, as far as Baal Gad, uh, in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon. You guys know where all this stuff is, I'm sure. And he captured all their kings and struck them and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites and the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. Listen, for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should, not, that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. And so Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron to Debur, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none, le- none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza and Gath and in Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel, according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. Okay, so as we end chapter 11 here, we get to the place where the whole land has been conquered. He had completed all that the Lord had commanded him to do through Moses. The job was done. He even conquered the Anakim. You know who the Anakim are? These are the giants. In the land, remember when the 12 spies were sent into the land and they're like, dude, we do not want to fight against these people because there's giants in the land. The giants were the Anakim. These were the guys um, from back in, you know, Genesis chapter 6. These are the the Nephilim. These are the giants of the land. And and in fact, actually, you know, um, a couple, four or five hundred years later, it's, it's David who will face Goliath who is from Gad. He's not a Philistine. He's been, he's, you know, Goliath is working for the Philistines. They've been, it's Philistine land, but he's, he's from Gad. He's, he's from the Anakim. And so, you know, Joshua is taking on the, the strongest of those people. And listen to me. Isn't it interesting that, that it's the last battle that he faces is the giants? You know, it's like God is not going to allow you to go into battles that, are, that, that, are, that you're just incapable of stepping into. Like, yeah, we, we got to have faith, right? But he's not going to take a baby in Christ and toss him into this, you know, this situation that a mature uh, you know, Christian couldn't handle themselves. He's, he's going to call them to the place. He's going to give them the measure of faith they need in the moment. But God baby steps us up. You know, when I first became a Christian, I watched God do just do stuff for me. And then Eventually, he started to help me to, you know, he told me to walk. I want you to walk, but I'm going to help you, but I'm going to walk with you. And so he would, he would, you know, hold my hand up and then he would help me to walk through situations, giving me the strength to do it. Then as I got a little bit more mature in my teenage years and I rebelled, no, I didn't. But, you know, as I got into, you know, walking more mature in the Lord, he started to call me to go further and further and further. The battles began getting bigger. The consequences beginning getting larger, you know, and all that kind of stuff. That's the way it works. God's not going to throw you in with the giants when you're an infant drinking milk. Like He's just not going to do that. And He's in control, so He can manage all of that. Like he's going to watch you. He's going to help you through it. He's not setting you up to fail is what I'm trying to say. Like God wants you to succeed. He wants you to see through it. And so He doesn't have them immediately go right into the land and face the, these, these guys. He's going he's gonna to build their faith. He's going to help them grow. He's going to help them see that he, they can trust him in every aspect. They come against Jericho. God doesn't even have them wield their sword at that point in time. Just the walls fall down before them, right? But then as they go, into, you know, they, they go into the next place, and they're getting ready to fight against Ai, and they do it on their own strength, and they fail. And God shows them that lesson. And then as he takes them on and, you know, and he faces these five kings and he shows them that he shows up. It was God that did the battle for them. It was God that confused them. It was God that hurled the stones. It was God that let the sun stand still. He did all of those things. And he's building their faith, getting them prepared for this moment in time when they would face this massive army, when they would face the, the, the giants of the land. And he's telling them, now you're ready for this battle. 
God is not going to throw you into a situation and go, man, I hope you make it. I hope, you see, I hope you're able to survive this. Your eyes are going to be this big when they bury you, but don't worry, I'm with you. No, he's going he's gonna to help you. you know, you're going to be a minion, whatever, a minion, you know. But, but God's going to see you through it. Joshua was never, ever relented at doing what God had called him to do. And that's why his heart remains soft towards the Lord. When you're not all in with God, you open yourself up to hardness of heart. What happens is, and you guys all know this, you know as you, as you walk with the Lord, John was even talking about it earlier, where he was saying, you know, in a week's time, it's amazing how quickly your heart can become hard. It's amazing how quickly when you're not in your Bible every day, when you're not around brothers and sisters rubbing elbows, when you're not, you know, in fellowship, when you're not in prayer, when, you ha- when you're super busy and you've got no time for God, all of a sudden your heart starts to get hard. And you start thinking like, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with this. That's why the Bible says to, per- to, to, to be diligent with your heart because out of it spring the issues of life. It's your heart condition that matters. And listen, if you're not all in with God at all the time, you're opening yourself up for failure. You're opening yourself up for sin to come into your life, and then you will eventually harden your heart against the voice of the Lord, and that, that transition can go downhill very quickly and very drastically. I've watched it happen. I've watched people that were in one moment, I would say, like, man, there's no question in my mind this person is the most solid believer I've ever seen in my life. And before you know it, they're down below like what you would even consider an unbeliever doing. And you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? They stopped being all in. They stopped pursuing God. They stopped doing the first things that they were doing, the simplicity and the relationship with Jesus, where they were just loving on God where they were just wanting to open his word, where there was an expectancy every day where they would open it up and say, God, I know you got something for me. What is it? Speak to me. Where you were taking everything to the Lord in prayer, where you were rubbing elbows with brothers and sisters all through the week because you were trying to encourage them and you were being encouraged at the same time. And, and you were all into that to the point where you slipped into complacency and you're like, man, I'm good. I read my Bible the last week. I'm good. I go to church on Sundays. I'm good. You know, that's not all in. That's not all in. Being all in means every step you take, you're all into it. You are, you know, listen, if you're trying to be a bodybuilder and, and you, you, you just go to the gym once a week and you, you clean your diet up once a week, guess what? You'll never be a bodybuilder, ever. You'll never condition your body to the point where it needs to be unless you're all in. You'll never be the Christian that God is calling you to be unless you're all in. And when you're all in, you're protecting your heart from all the things that the world wants to throw at you. And you're allowing the Spirit to take precedence in your life and you're taking every thought captive and casting out those things that are not of the Lord. You are being an encourager to those around you. And in so doing, you're being encouraged. You desire the counsel of God's Word in your life because you care about what he thinks and how he's calling you to live. We all know the slippery slope, man. We all know how quickly it happens, how we slide to the back, and it's just one step backwards can be a cliff. You understand that? We are one step away from going into the deepest, darkest hole that you've ever been in in your life. Do you know that? It scares me to death to think that in a moment I can go from where I am right now with the Lord down to the pit by choice. By choice because I wasn't guarding my heart. Because I wasn't all in with God. Because God will do His part. God will meet you where you are. He will always do His part, but you have to do your part. He won't overstep your will. He won't overstep you, your, the choices that you want to make in your life, he'll allow you to do that. And he will be patient with you. But don't tread on his patience. 
Take the right steps. Protect your heart. Choose to be all in as much as you possibly can. And I know I'm talking to people here that are here today, that want to hear, that are here because they want to hear what the Lord has to say. But listen to me. It's not just about being here. It's also about, you know, taking the gospel into your life and allowing it to just blow out, just totally beam out of you. It's about letting Christ take full control of your life. You have not lived the Christian life until you have released all control and said, God, I'm just going to release control to you and, and be all in. Let me tell you something. If you've never done that, you need to do that today. If you've never ever released full control of your life over to Jesus, you know, Jesus take the wheel, or however that goes, I don't know. But if you've never done that before, you need to do that today. You need to, you need to say, Jesus, you take the will of my life. I want to be all in with you today. I don't want to live half-hearted because he is an all-in God and he came all in for you and he's calling you into the same place that he's gone. He was all in to the cross and through the grave and out of the grave into, the, into heaven and he's calling you to the same place. And you can do it in him. You can do it in Christ. But he's encouraging us today to just be all in. And where we are weak, He will meet us and make us strong. And where we are failing, He will give us victory. And because God meets us where we are. But we got to step towards Him. we got to say, God, here I am. I want to be all in with you today. That's what Joshua did. He was all in. Verse 20 says that God hardened the hearts of these Canaanite people. Why would God do that? God would harden the heart of a people who would reject him no matter what he would do. God would come to that place where he would say, I'm giving you over to yourself. When, God's, when it says that God hardened their heart, the action in which I believe it's speaking about is the same thing that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, where it says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. When it says that God hardened their heart, there is a clear example of that with Pharaoh, where Pharaoh, uh, you know, made the choice to harden his heart and then eventually God said, I'm gonna harden your heart. I'm giving you over to your sin. I'm not going to interfere. I'm not going to contend with you anymore. I'm going to let you be full of yourself. And that's what that means. When it says that he hardened their heart. He, uh, he, just, he made the decision for them to just give them over to their sin. And you're stuck there now. Eventually, when you hear the gospel so many times, and you harden yourself against the gospel, and you don't receive the gospel eventually, every time you do that, your heart's being hardened. Every time you hear what God's voice speaking to you and, you and you don't listen to Him, you're hardening your heart. And eventually, there comes a time and a place where God would say, I have been patient, and I have endured, and I have contended with you. And there comes a place where He hardens the heart of man, where no, they are no longer in a position where they are reachable. We see it in, in, the, in the book of Revelation at the end of time where it says that God gave them strong delusion where they were just so wrapped up in their own sin that God, there's, there, you know, without God you know, overstepping his bound and stepping over human responsibility to respond to the gospel, there's no way for them to come to him. And so he just, gave them over to, he just gave them a strong delusion, just you, give you over to your own sin. Listen, I don't want to ever get to that place. And I don't think as a believer that you can get to that place where God would harden your heart because you've come to Christ. But I believe that you can harden your heart to a place where you allow sin in, in your life to such a degree that Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, deliver such a one over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh that their spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord, right? There, for, for a believer, it's a, a different kind of thing that the Lord does with the hardening of heart. He says, 
delivered to that person over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Not their body, their flesh. What is their flesh? Their flesh is the, the sinful desires that they have. He just deliver them over to Satan. Uh, remove them from the covering of the body of Christ. Remove them from the presence and the fellowship of the, of the brethren and remove them outside of the doors of the church and allow Satan to have his way with them until their flesh is destroyed. Until that sin is dealt with. What, what, the, the whole point of that is restoration. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.5 5 is all about God saying, deliver them over to Satan for the point, for, to the point of, so that they will be restored back to the body eventually when they're repentant, that their flesh would be destroyed. Unfortunately, some people don't ever make it back to the restoration process here on earth. Some people get stuck in, in, in that place and they are, they're just in the destruction of flesh and that is just such a terrible place for a believer to be. Where God has delivered you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. That is such a hard heart that God would have to do that. Listen to me, I believe that it grieves God greatly to have to give someone over to their sinful desires. I believe it grieves him greatly to have them delivered over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. It has to sadden him to the point that he says, I'm not going to step in and contend with that person any longer. I'm not going to allow them. I'm not going to, I'm going to allow them to do whatever they want to do. The hardening of heart can happen to you and I if we're not all in. And God wants us to be guarded against that this morning. Being all in means leaving nothing undone. It means never ret uh, retreating from a battle the Lord is calling you to, and it is the only way to keep your heart soft. So let me ask you this morning, are you all in? I pray you are. And if you're not, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. But would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for your grace and love towards us, Lord. To thank God that you would contend and fight with man for over 400 years to try and reach a people that would reject you over and over and over again. But that shows your love for us, Lord. But there comes a point in time in which you would say, the time is now, judgment is sure. And you would execute judgment upon the earth. And, they, and every one of us in this place today, if we, if we don't stand behind the cross, if, we don't, if we're not covered in the blood of Jesus, we will face you one day as judge. Every one of us will, will stand before the throne and give an account for our lives, but some will be judged. It's Jesus Christ that took the wrath of God for us. It's His blood that covers those who have faith in what He's done for them. So we don't face God as, as a judge that's going to say one day, depart from me, I never knew you. But we face God as a Savior who is judging our works, our faithfulness with what we've done in this world. But for the one that would reject Jesus, they stand a whole different judgment. And Lord, we know your heart. Your heart is that all would come to repentance, that all would, would come to the place where they would accept your Son as Savior of their life, that they would confess their sin to you, that they would turn away from a lifestyle that they're living, Lord, that they would, that's contrary to you, that they would accept the sacrifice that's been given on their behalf. And so we want to just start by saying, Lord, we all need to be all in. But for some this morning, they need to be, they need to be all in in terms of salvation. And so you would, you would ask them this morning as we continue to pray with every head bowed and eye closed that you would just say, hey, lift your hand if you want to receive Christ today. If you are in a place where you're not sure that you're saved, Christ came to die for you. He shed his blood on the cross. He came all in for you and he's calling you to declare today, hey, I need that in my life. I want to be all in for him but I have to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want to turn away from my sin. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand. God is contending for you right now. He's fighting for you. He loves you. He desires to see you come to that place of salvation where He can 
give you an inheritance that is beyond anything that you could ever think and hope. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand. Is there anyone that needs a relationship with Jesus this morning? That's saying, man, I'm, I've lived my life apart from God. Anyone at all? God, we thank you, Father, for those in this room today. And, and Lord, we know that you are at work in our hearts and that there are those in this place today that um, you, you are stirring, Lord, even now. And they are, they are believers, but they need to be restored with you this morning, that they need to just kind of come to that place where they say, God, I want to be all in with you. I haven't been. I've been half-hearted with you. And so, Lord, you know the hearts of every person in this place this morning. And if that's you this morning, and you're saying, God, I, I want to be all in with you as a believer. Um, I'm, I haven't been. I want to engage. Just take a step of faith this morning and just lift your hand up and say, Lord, I want to be all in with you. If that's you this morning, would you lift your hand? You're a believer, but you're saying, God, I want to be all in. I haven't been all in. God bless you. Is there anyone else that just says, I just need to be all in this morning? Anyone else at all saying, Lord, you're stirring my heart. You know. And the lifting of my hand is simply the fact that I'm saying, God, you see my heart right where it is. And it's a declaration that's saying, God, I understand that you see my heart right where it is. And so you're saying by faith, Lord, I want to be all in. Anybody else? All right, you can put your hand down. Lord, we thank you so much for... For that person that raised their hand this morning, God is saying, I want to be all in with you. And we know you're going to bless that, God. We know that you are going to just bring all kinds of victory in their life. Lord, that you are going to put them on a path that is beyond their comprehension. And so, Lord, bless. For those who are already all in this morning, God, would you increase our faith to help us to go the next step? Whatever that is, Lord, would you help us to toe the line to the battle that you're calling us to? Would you help us to leave nothing left undone? Would you help us, Lord, to walk in every good work that you've called us to? And so, Lord, we lift this up to you. We lift every single person up to you, those who are joining us online. Uh, we see you as well. If your hand was raised, God sees you. Those who are listening to this later, God sees you. He sees your heart. He knows where you are. And he's responding to you now by his spirit. Lord, fill us as we close in this song, Lord. Just do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.